Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. This week I get to sit down and talk with author Rebecca Thorne about all things self-publishing, indie publishing, trad publishing, basically how the hell does publishing work? None of us know. None of us know. Welcome (laughs) to the podcast, Rebecca. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, but for anyone who doesn't already follow you on social media, and if you're a budding writer, why the hell aren't you already? Uh, <laughs> can you introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Rebecca Thorne. Um, I have written a series of cozy fantasies called the Tomes and Tea series. Um, the first one is called Can't Spell Treason Without Tea. The sequel is called A Pirate's Life for Tea. And there are two more books that will be out in that series, hopefully soon. Um, and then I am also the author of a new fantasy horror book called This Gilded Abyss. Um, and I also have a traditionally published book called The Secrets of Star Whales that came out in 2021. So I've done self-publishing and traditional publishing. I have found my stride as a hybrid author, and I love talking about publishing paths with people. <laughs> and I'm so excited to uh, dive right into it, if I can get r- right started with the pirate and the sea puns. Um, <laughs> yep. But when did you first discover that you had a passion for writing? Oh, God, that was um, 11 years old. Um, I actually just got my first tattoo, and it's a dragon wrapped around an inkwell. And I've had it in my brain since I was like 18, um, because my very first book at 11 years old was called Dragonest. And I think I wrote like 40,000 words of it, which for an 11-year-old is pretty good, I thought. Yeah. Um, But I remember handing it to my sister, and she read it, and she was just like, well, this is really great, Becky, but what's the plot? And it was like this glass shattering <laughs> moment for me because I was just writing about this girl who found a dragon and like there was no plot. So in hindsight, the slice of life fantasy probably was a little more my jam. But uh, yeah, it, it just kind of spiraled from there. I mean, I knew when I was 18 that I wanted to do this full time, um, but obviously it's really tough to make this a full time career. So it took me another decade of flying as a flight attendant before I was able to finally kind of transition into this career. So I love it. I also love talking to authors about that because so many of us started off like the first thing you write is never good. No. Well, and and this is where, okay, so I'll get on my soapbox here for a minute. I have to laugh so hard because I meet so many authors who are brand new to this, right? And like, we all have to start somewhere. So like, you know, amazing that you decided to take the time and write your book. But I meet so many authors who get so incredibly discouraged and disheartened by the fact that their first book didn't go anywhere. Mm. And I'm like, Tones and Tea, the Cancel Treason Without Tea book was my 15th novel. I am on my 17th now. Um, I didn't start querying until my 13th. um, And then I had one, nope, my 11th. One, two, three books queried. One book got me an agent, but it died on submission. And then I wrote two more books on submission and only one of them sold. And then I wrote, and then I took a break from that and went and wrote Can't Spell Treason Without Tea. So, I mean, and that that doesn't even count the 11 books I have sitting on my hard drive that never went anywhere and never will. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's interesting to me to see how people expect success right out the doors, but you, it's an art form like anything else. Like you can't Mm -hmm. just pick up a violin and be, you know, playing in some amazing symphony. Like you have to practice first and your first couple of attempts will not be good. (laughs) 
No. And I think if every author, every writer, every artist is being honest with themselves, like you always think what you're doing at that moment is the best thing you've ever done because yeah. it probably will be at that mm -hmm. moment. It probably is the best you've ever done, mm -hmm. but you're only going to get better from yeah. that. Yes. Every time I write a new book, I always challenge myself to try something new. So I've mm. written in just about every genre under the sun. Um, I have like my, my book that was traditionally published as a middle grade. That was actually the first middle grade I'd ever attempted um, because I wanted to test it out and see if I liked it. And the answer is I'm more comfortable in the adult space, but I did enjoy the experience of trying to write down for a younger audience. Um, you know, I just, I think that every time you write a book, use it as a learning experience to try mm. and figure out what else you can obtain from that work because it will never be a waste if you learn something from it. I love that because so often writers are told, you know, write in one genre mm -hmm. because then people will know you for that genre and, they'll, and yeah. they'll kind of stick to that. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I actually have a lot of friends who have like six or seven pen names and they write mm. in different genres depending on the pen name. And that has never been my style um, but I will say that the, I think the reason I can get away with one pen name that encompasses this massive umbrella of genres is because all of my writing, no matter what genre you're in, will be pretty typical for my style. Mm -hmm. um, like my style is very distinct. It's very fast paced, very cinematic, very witty dialogue, you know, great action, um, high adventure and, you know, usually slightly higher stakes, even in my cozies. Um, so if you like those qualities you will like pretty much any book I write because all of them have that feel, even though they're in different genres. So what I'm actually seeing now, like I wanted to, I wrote my cozy fantasies and they're like mild and mellow and excited, you know, and low key, but exciting. Um, and then I switched into horror just to see if I could. Um, and what I'm finding with these advanced readers that are just starting to get a hold of this book now, they are hands down obsessed with it because it feels like home to them because they read my cozies but it's everything that my cozies didn't have so mm. if they're reading my cozies and hoping for something more heart pounding more more exciting they will find it in my horror and if they read my horror and they're like man i really need a break now because most people <laughs> finish that book do um then they can go back to my cozies and they will still have the same type of like love story the same type of mm. experience it's just a different genre so I, I think that tie together of writing style and like what you're doing, you know, like that could also pan out for relationships. Like I write lesbian fiction. So if you're into lesbian fiction, you'll pretty much be into everything that I am. My audience doesn't really change genre to genre. Mm. Um, like it's going to pretty much be ages 20 to 40 lesbian women, you know, or people who enjoy reading sapphic romances and yeah. that stays pretty typical. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's not enough sapphic romance out there. To be perfectly honest. I'm, I literally am sitting here. I'm like, I'm trying to find my next read. And I'm like, where I'm like, like, I have to go to TikTok and ask most of the time and be like, if I want mm -hmm. this exact thing, where, what book do I read? Cause like, there just, there isn't enough, you know, like we need more. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But what is really nice is we're kind of moving into, I think an era where, you know, there's a lot more queer representation within literature. There's a lot more queer authors writing queer characters because yes. now agents are picking them up, whereas they never mm -hmm. used to pick them up. Yes. Um, and indies are getting more confident and saying, hey, I'm going to come out and here's my big queer romance series yeah. of novels. And we're like, yes, please let us buy all of them. Yep. Um, let's talk about indie publishing for a sec, right. because <laughs> you're the first indie author uh, who I've had on the podcast, which Hello. I'm very excited, <laughs> very excited about because I myself am also an indie author. Heck yeah. Um, did you always know that you wanted to go the indie route when you started? 
Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I I started in the traditional publishing space when I was about 23. Um, I was already working as a flight attendant and I was like, okay, the way to get published is traditional publishing. Mm. So I like dove into it. I bought every craft book I could. I bought every book about getting a literary agent that I could find. I joined a bunch of groups on Twitter and on Discord and I just kind of dove into the world. Um, and so I spent eight years in that space. I was represented for four of them. Um, and I queried for three to four of them. Um, I, I, I queried for three. I think I spent about a year just gathering information. So like eight years, but like kind of, you know, wiggling. Um, and then I, after four years with my literary agent, I, you know, loved and respected her as a, as an agent, but I don't think that our visions of what my career would be were aligning. Mm. Um, so I got to the point where I was kind of getting frustrated whenever I'd hand her a book, it seemed like it wasn't what she was looking for. And it seemed like she didn't know what she was going to do with it. And then I wrote this really weird book that like, even I barely knew what to do with. <laughs> and she was basically like, I don't think we can sell this. And that book, I still think is the best thing I've ever written. And I'm excited to release it in a year or two on my own because I'm like you know what like once I build up a base people will read mm. this even if it's a hard pitch right now and people will love it um it's very like the invisible life of Addie LaRue and like meets good omens it's right fabulous. right um I mean you always see genre shifts as well like yeah. right now I'm getting so excited because dragons are finally coming back and I have a dragon fantasy coming out next year and I'm like dragons yeah amazing dragons. like I have I have been trying to pitch mermaids for like the last 10 years and no one wants mermaids. And finally, mm -hmm. I'm like, I've written something that people are looking for actively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mermaids, I was convinced would be the next thing after vampires. And they had a couple that came out like, like Into the Drowning Deep is um, pretty creepy. Um, I definitely read that as like research for like horror books when mm. I was trying to figure out how I wanted to feel mine out. Um, yeah, there's some good mermaid books, but I'm... I don't know if dragons ever really went away. I feel like there's been some really good dragon books that have come out in the last decade, but I definitely think that we're seeing this kind of Aragon-like resurgence of them in a way that we really didn't see and, you know, and, you know, except back when I was in high school. So yeah, I think especially out of the reader space, you know, because we've got series yeah. like House of the Dragon, Aragon has been commissioned for a TV series as well. So it's much more in like popular culture. Yeah, the yeah. same it way was... that like when Twilight came out, vampires, mm -hmm. like everyone wanted to read about vampires. I think we're seeing the same kind of thing. Happen yeah, with dragons yeah, now. absolutely. Yeah. And well, I think that like Game of Thrones kind of kicked that off, you know, mm. four or five years ago, and it just takes mm -hmm. traditional publishing that long to catch up to it, you know, like, yeah. It just takes years for traditional publishing to catch up to anything. So that's an, that's why I actually went indie, you know, because I was like looking at this indie space and I left my literary agent and was trying to decide what I wanted to do next. And I my ultimate goal is to be a college professor where I'm teaching publishing at a collegiate level. Um, but I didn't know what traditionally publishing versus self-publishing, like what the nuance there was. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt like it would be best to get some hands-on experience and like, you know, fumble through my path as a self-published author so that I could teach it accurately later on yeah. and know what the pitfalls are. Because you can look at it from a distance all you want, but until you're in the nitty gritty, kind of like when you're in the querying trenches, it's different than watching mm. someone in the querying trenches. Like until you get in there, you really don't know what it's going to be. So. Did you feel comfortable doing that? Did you feel like your the readership you already had from your, your published novels? I had novels no readership. I had no readership. Okay. No one knew who I was. I love yeah, hearing I, um, that though. I love you know yeah no no one knew away, who I was straight away I love hearing mm -hmm. about um authors who have been traditionally published who have went the indie route because it's not second best it mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. is not yeah um 
And I love people that have the courage to go for it because you have become so successful since doing it. Yeah, it's shocking. Oh yeah, like it's interesting to me because everybody hears that I was in the traditional space and they think that I brought a readership with me, but my one book that was self-published was self, or um, that was traditionally published um, was a middle grade book published by a mid-level press. Like my advance for that book was so small that it only amounted to about a quarter of what I made at my day job per month. Like mm-hmm. I, there was no way I was living off of that. And mm-hmm. I still haven't earned it out. I think I've only sold like 1200 copies of that book total. And, and in like eight months, I'm up to 15,000 copies of Treason and Tea. So like, it's like shocking how different it is, but I did everything right. Like I went the traditional route. I wrote really good books. Yeah. I did everything that they told me to do and it didn't get me anywhere And I was so frustrated. And that happens to a lot of authors. Like you go into this traditional publishing space, expecting the grandeur and the magnificence of being a traditionally published author. And it comes with a little bit of clout, but it doesn't usually come with the experience that you're imagining on paper. Um, You know, a lot of times what people will end up finding is that you end up in the mid author trap, like where you basically are a title that they've paid a decent amount for, but they haven't like really bought, like they haven't paid six figures for it. They've paid a decent amount. Um, And because of that, you get decent marketing. You don't get amazing marketing. So they're, they may get your book into bookstores, but it's kind of on you to push that book and make sure it's solid. And that is a stress on authors that traditional authors are not expecting because they were told all their querying lives, everybody will do it for you. Mm -hmm. And now that narrative is starting to shift. That was how it was eight years ago. Like, oh yeah, if you go traditional, they'll do it for you. Now people are starting to realize that if you want a book to be successful, you have to go and pitch it because your publisher won't do it. Um, And I think that's where we're starting to see some overlap with indie versus self-publishing or uh, trad versus self-publishing because self-published authors are the only person who is pushing their book. So like, we have to get good at the marketing side of it. Yeah. We have to be good at getting our face out there and telling people that our book exists. And that's a skill that not a lot of traditional authors have, but is very intriguing to publishers. So it's yeah. not that hard to bridge that gap. If you start with self-publishing and your goal is traditional publishing, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to bridge that gap between the two. So when you kind of took the leap and thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to have a go. Where did you start? Um, so I started with Travis Baldry, um, his book, Legends and Lattes. I found it in March of 2022, and I needed that book at that time in my life. Um, so I read it, I loved it, and I was confused because I found it at a Barnes and Noble, and I had always been told that you couldn't get your book into Barnes and Noble if you were indie. Mm. And that is a big, fat fucking lie. (laughs) I just like, I, the fact that I bought into it for so many years, and I, and I, I was in this space, man. Like I was talking to traditionally published authors left and right, but I never reached out to indie authors to find out what opportunities are coming up in that space. And that was my big failing. Oh, it's growing. Um, like it's growing. even in it's the last crazy. couple of years. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Like since the pandemic, we've seen this massive insurgence of book talk getting on there and they're pushing books that their traditional publishing space did not want pushed. And book talk is like, well, we don't give a fuck what you want. We like, like this book. So we're going to send yes, it out there to the world. Like, book talk is like, we found a great story mm-hmm. and this amazing person has written it. And that's all we care about. Like they don't care, care about. Yeah. they don't care where they have to get it from. They don't yep. care like if there was a publishing house behind it or not. They're just mm-hmm. like, I love these characters. I love this story. Let me read it and tell people about it. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I am, um, I'm actually, I. so I guess by the time this airs, I will have my master's degree. Um, I'm going this weekend to get my graduation done and everything. Yay. And uh, I, my Congrats. degree is in popular fiction writing and publishing at Emerson College. 
And one of the things that I took a class on was a marketing class by the um, acquiring director at Disney's press. Mm. And like, he is like, he was, I mean, he's walking the walk while he's talking the talk. Right. So he came into our class remotely and was just basically like, every one of you needs to get on TikTok. And we were just <laughs> like, come on, dude, it's a social media. And he's like, no, he's like, Twitter is a social media. Instagram is social media. He's like, TikTok. He's like book talk. We don't know what to do with it on the publisher side. He's like, he literally looked us in the eye and was like, they are pushing books that we would never have thought would sell, would sell. And they're outperforming the books that have worked yep. for decades. Yep. And it's all because this community latches onto this one book and is like, this is our favorite thing now. So that's what happened with Legends and Lattes, right? Like it got a little bit of steam on Twitter with Shauna McGuire retweeting it, but then BookTok got involved and just made it explode. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was all over BookTok. I'd seen its cover several times. That's how I knew it was self-published. When I found it in a Barnes and Noble, everything changed for me because I had no idea that that was possible from a self-publishing perspective. Um, so I kind of dove into the, you know, nitty gritty of it. Like I started Googling who he was, who his press was. Like I looked up cryptid press. That's what it said on the original self-published, you know, that was his LLC basically that said that he published with that, you know? Um, so I looked up that, couldn't find any information on it, figured out it was him, you know, just creating that LLC and then I moved into watching the fact that it like was purchased by Tor and that like it was in all these bookstores. And I'm like, I could do this. I'm like, I could do this. And then I found an article that he wrote on Medium and it is still available for anyone who's interested. It is called Self-Publishing A to Z and it's by Travis Baldry on Medium. And it is the most comprehensive, like organized how-to guide of how to exactly he self-published. And I copied it identically. The only difference is that I was on TikTok and he was on Twitter, mm. but like I copied that exact release thing. So the fact that everyone's like, man, your success is so unique. No one can replicate it. And I'm just like, that's weird because I replicated it. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> all I did was copy what he did and it worked like a dream, you know? So I don't know. So there's it's several routes that when you decide to publish for yourself that you can kind of go down. Mm -hmm. um you know there's there's pros and cons you know you have a lot of control you all of the decision making rests with you which I love because I'm rid riddled Same. with anxiety and a massive mm -hmm. control freak but then you're basically running like five different businesses because you're having yeah. to do everything yourself so yep. did you um go with Amazon KDP? Did you go with Ingram Spark, Barnes & yeah, so Did you do both. it all straight away or? Not all straight away. I did um, just exactly what Travis did. I stood Amazon for the ebook um, in KDP. And then I released the paperback the day of because Amazon doesn't do paperback pre-orders for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also simultaneously uploaded the paperback only to Ingram Spark. So to this day, the ebook is available on Amazon. The paperback was available on Ingram Spark and on Amazon. Um, but the Ingram Spark realm is only because I wanted my book in bookstores. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, I take, I mostly take a loss on Ingram Spark because their printing costs are so high mm -hmm. that like, I think I make like a dollar per copy as opposed to like an Amazon copy gets me like $4 a copy, you know? So like I make a lot more money off Amazon than I do on Ingram Spark. But Ingram Spark gets me the visibility inside those bookstores because there's a certain clout that comes from people picking up your book in a bookstore because mm -hmm. they think that it's traditionally published then. Um, so I've got a lot of my readers because they were finding my book in the wild and then they're telling their friends and their friends are going to these bookstores and buying it. And now Ingram Spark, the bookstores are actually one of my best selling areas because all of these bookstores know that my book will sell out of that store. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, so yeah, but Amazon is my primary source of income because I take such a loss on Ingram Spark. So it's kind of a balance where I have to basically take the risks about potential returns coming in on Ingram Spark that I may have to pay for. If someone sends back a book, they charge the author for it. So like you could end up in a very tricky situation if a hundred copies are ordered and a hundred are returned, you know, but, um, but so far I've only had a couple of returns since I started with Ingram Spark and the rest of them have sold. So it's, it's been a nice balance between the two. Good. And I think, you know, I think it can get really confusing for people who are just starting out. You know, there's, there are more avenues than you might think to go down and there's pitfalls in both. Uh, let's talk about some of the kind of tricky parts of being an indie author. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Kindle Unlimited for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> and should, you, should you tick that box or not? Because Rebecca Thorne might write about pirates. But um... <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So my thoughts on Kindle Unlimited are nuanced and complex. Mm. Um, my flat answer for new authors is check your genre because it's going to be different for every genre. Romance does fantastic yes. in Kindle Unlimited. And I know many romance authors who make 90% of their income that yep. way. You know, I mean, and, that, and that's just, that's how they prefer to do it. That's how they do it. They're mm -hmm. good with it. You know, um, for me, I was enrolled in the Kindle Unlimited program for the first six months of release. Um, I pulled my books off of Kindle Unlimited on March 1st. And uh, the reason I did that is because Amazon has been treating indie authors poorly if they're enrolled in the Kindle Unlimited program. When you sign a contract for Kindle Unlimited, you basically agree that Amazon is the only place that will have your ebook. So the paperback can be everywhere, which is why I put it on Amazon and Ingram Spark, but the ebook is exclusive to Amazon. And what's happening is that they have these terrible protections in place where the second your book goes live on Kindle Unlimited, it's scraped for pirating websites. So like it's and it's instantaneous, like they have software that goes in the second a book hits Kindle Unlimited and they grab it and they pull it and they put it up for free on these pirating websites. So I found my book in December on a pirating website and realized that like, oh, this is going to get really complicated very quickly because in February they started and before and after they are still doing it. Um, they started pulling author accounts because they found the book on a pirating website and then told the author that it violated their exclusivity clause. Mm -hmm. And that's fucked up. Without you know, warning. Like, yeah, like without warning, they just randomly were like, JK, you don't have a following. And imagine if you get 90% of your income, you're paying rent with that money, you're feeding your mm -hmm. family with that money. All of a sudden you log in and your account is closed. Your book is gone. And all the royalties that went with it vanished. Mm -hmm. And they could do that on a dime because they had that exclusivity clause. So it's one of those things where I was looking at the risk of it come February, come March. And I was like, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. So I pulled my one book off of Kindle Unlimited. My second book was never on Kindle Unlimited. And this Gilded Abyss will also not be on Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. So it's just not worth it at this point, in my opinion. I made the same decision. Uh, my mm -hmm. books had been on, all of my books had been on Kindle Unlimited since I published up mm -hmm. until February of this year when I started yeah. hearing all of this one of them's already off one of them's about to come off because the mm -hmm. the 90 days is about to kind of um expire yeah. I think next month oh, for anybody who that 90 days is very flexible if you email them and say I want it off right now they will actually pull it today oh wow I didn't even know yeah that. the 90 the 90 day rule is like they 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 say it's a 90 day rule but if you were like nope I need it gone now they're like 
whoa, sorry. And then they pull it off. <laughs> Check. Okay. I'll make a note for tomorrow to send yeah. a little email uh, to, yeah. get, to get that. But similarly, you know, in I don't know how many fantasy readers use Kindle Unlimited um, religiously because I was never getting very many sales from mm -hmm. Kindle Unlimited. So it wasn't really a big decision for me to be like, yeah, it well, wasn't a difficult decision to take off. Yeah. And for me, it was because it was one third of my income. I was selling mm. about equal Kindle Unlimited page reads versus ebook versus paperback, one third, one third, one yeah. third. Um, but I will say it's hard for me to say no to Kindle Unlimited entirely because at this stage in my career, I can because I have enough author or enough readers who are like, oh, she's an auto buy author for me. So anything she comes out with, I will buy. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting readers that way because they, I am starting to build that following that I never really had before. Um, when I first started in Treason and Tea, no one knew who I was. And I think that that's hard for people to remember because they're like, oh, Rebecca Thorne's always been around because I've exploded this year. But that's not true. Like I had like 2000 followers on TikTok and I spent, you know, seven months getting 2000 followers on TikTok by the time my book was released. Kindle Unlimited got me most of my readers in the early mm. days, you know, like my ratio evened out eventually towards Christmas, especially like the paperback versions shot up because people started gifting it to people. Yeah. Um, but, and then a lot of the people who read on Kindle Unlimited then went and bought the ebook so that they would always have it. So I got a lot of double dipping there, um, which was great, but I, I, it, for me personally, in my point, at the point in my career right now, it's not worth the risk. Back when I was brand new, I don't know if I would have gotten the buzz that I did if I wasn't on it. So it's really kind of like a weighing your pros and cons, seeing what your following looks like, deciding where the risk is acceptable, and then making the choice from there. If you are looking for the perfect bookish gift for the fantasy fiction lover in your life, or simply want to treat yourself, then you have to check out S-Story Collective. From Akatar to Throne of Glass, Six of Crows to The Cruel Prince, they have stylish, high-quality jewellery that perfectly encapsulates your favourite quotes and characters. Shop today at sstorycollective.com. So speaking of readership, um, authors are expected to market their own books kind of as much as possible and you are definitely very good at it and you've spoken a little bit about TikTok but where did you first find the majority of your readership because you said you know when you went the indie route you didn't really have a readership where did you first get started? TikTok it's all TikTok <laughs> people <laughs> ask me all the time they're like oh you must use paid x paid y mm. I'm like no I don't pay for anything I don't pay for I don't even pay for my my subscriber emails that I send mm -hmm. out. Like I don't pay a monthly fee for those either. I'm like, I find cheap websites that are free and then I go on TikTok and I talk about my books constantly. Um, and TikTok is really useful because you're able to go in and find a bunch of different video styles depending on your personal preference. Yeah. So I do a mix up of trending sounds that I twist into something funny um, or I will do a speaking video and I'll put my book on the screen and like gesture over to it so people see what it is. Um, or I'll, you know, do videos where my book is just, again, in my hands, front and center while I'm talking about something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those combinations of things end up being something that people are interested in. So TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I market. That's the only way that I market these days. When did you first notice that your book was generating a little bit of a buzz? Definitely December. Um, so I published it in September and September and October were good months for me. Like I didn't have a zero day. I haven't actually to this day had a, had a day where I haven't sold at least, you know, 10 bucks, um, which is 
shocking for an indie author. Like I know that that's not the typical. And again, I know there are people that are upset about that, but again, Treason was my 15th book. I <laughs> so mean, why, like, why would people be upset? When well, I, not, maybe not upset, but I think, I think people are looking at my success and saying, I can't achieve that. And they're using it as a reason not to try. And that's something that I'm like, dude, like everybody can do what I'm doing. You just have to be good at it. You know, I mean, I'm a massive good at it is by practice. Yeah. And I'm a massive believer in, you know, someone else's success doesn't define define yours. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, like we can all be successful. (laughs) Like let's all bring each other up instead of trying to tear someone down for it. And what is kind of amazing to me is when you hear about these people who talk about these unicorn deals, you know, the ones that are, that happen overnight, Mm. those books were not, I'm like, there are maybe two authors that I know of out of hundreds of thousands that have had true overnight successes where they had their first book out the door, but I still don't even know what those people were doing in the meantime. You know, like, were they in marketing? Did they do copywriting for 10 years before they had that one book? Mm. Did they just switch over to fiction and bring that skill set with them? And then that's why their first book was a success. Like, we don't know what's happening behind closed doors. So those overnight successes very rarely are actually truly overnight successes. It's just what we're seeing. And and then I think that what really angers me is when people, and it does, like, it makes me, because I'm so passionate about helping new authors find their way in the world, that when I hear this defeatist talk of, like, I can never do this because I'm not Mm -hmm. this magic special person, you create your own magic. You know, like, Travis Baldry actually explained it really well. He basically talked about how everybody's waiting for that lightning strike, but not everybody's standing in the field holding a rod. And not everybody has spent decades going out into that field and planting rods all over the place Mm -hmm. so that when the lightning strike comes, you can actually harness it and Mm -hmm. use it for something, you know, and that's what you can be doing right now. You may not have the lightning strike yet, but you can get on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or wherever you're comfortable. And you can start talking to people and telling people about your book and learning about the industry. The publishing industry is so nuanced and wide that you can learn something every day and still never know what all is happening in it, you know? So dive into the publishing industry, become friends with the readers and writers that you're trying to sell books to basically and learn from them. And then when you have a book that you're ready to lift up, now they're gonna be a lot more inclined to help you because there's a community aspect involved. Now they know you and they're excited to help, you know? So don't just go on to TikTok and start shouting about your book and expect to find massive success because you won't. But if you can form a community there with the cool people, and they're really cool people, like go Mm -hmm. and meet them, you know? Mm -hmm. Go find some influencers and start following them and start reading the books they recommend and talking about them. And then when the time is appropriate, slip your book in there and you might be surprised at how well it does. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes, I don't know who said it, um, is every overnight success is 10 years in the making. And yes. it's so Oh, I true. love that. I love it's that. so well, true. One of the things that I read, um, and I forget who said it, but uh, I found this quote when I was in high school and it's like stuck with me ever since. And it's a professional writer is just an amateur who didn't quit. I love that. I just like, I, there's mm-hmm. something so like, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it because that's exactly it. It's so easy I to mean, stop. I remember I used to write as a hobby and I used to just think it was a hobby. I was like, I'll write Mm -hmm. fan fiction. I will just write these little stories that are in my brain. And I did it as a way to like decompress and chill. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, instead of reading a book, oh, I'm just going to write a little bit more of mine. And it just went into my laptop and went into the void. Like it did nothing with it. And then eventually Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to publish one of these. I'm going to package this and I can sell this. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, no, that's kind of it. I mean, I remember the day that I realized my writing was no longer a hobby, but a passion. And I think I was mm -hmm. 16 at the time. And like, it was just, it was the shift of the point where it was like, I, I want to do this because I enjoy it. And I mm -hmm. have to do this because it's like a compulsive need. Yeah. And that was the shift for me, you know? Absolutely. And I think, I think more people should have a bit more belief in themselves because, yeah. you know, oh God, I think I'm in any creative job, you cannot define success by how much money you make. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I always count myself as a, um, an aggressive supporter. <laughs> like, like I'm aggressively optimistic where I'm like, no, you can do it. And people are like, whoa. And okay. I'm like, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Just like I just I, you lose nothing by trying, you know, like you can try for a decade and you still have lost nothing but your time, which you probably would have been spending on this anyway, if you're really passionate about it. So I why mean, not this, just shift your focus. This podcast is called uh, No Such Word as Can't for a reason, because that's what my mother used to drill into me when I was a child. So I guess I heard it enough that I believed it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just I think that's I think that's exactly essential to success in this in this business. You know, the marketing may not take off right away. How well do you do when it doesn't? How mm. how determined are you to keep going on to TikTok when your views are only at 100 or 200? Resilience. You know? mm -hmm. And yeah, resilience. Like if you don't have the resilience to keep going when times are bad, you will never find success to get to the point where times are good. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So. And as an indie, you know, you have to wear a lot of hats. How do you manage the juggle? I'm ADHD. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I have hyper-focused, my, my friends say that like, I took like the, the like moving water of the ADHD and just like funneled it into this fire hose of productivity that just blasts in the direction that I aim it at. Um, so every day I get up and I make a list of things that need to get done that day. Um, I usually talk to my girlfriend about it. We have our little accountability list um, and I just start working through them. You know, like I have dedicated times that I sit at my desk. When I'm at my desk, I'm working. When I'm off my desk, I'm not. Um, so if I'm sitting in my desk, I better be getting something done. So, um, and I was lucky I've been doing national novel writing month for 15 years now. Um, and yeah, so I've done that every November for 15 years, just about, um, and that has really helped me up my word count that, you know, daily word mm. count limits. So I used to struggle to hit 1600 words a day. Now it's so ingrained in my brain that when I sit down, I can write 3000 words in a day mm -hmm. and it's literally no skin off my nose. If I mm -hmm. take time, I can easily have a 10,000 word day, but I have to like set the time. Finding the time is the hard part. Not that I can't reach yeah. the goal in a day. It's that I can't find the time to do it, you know? So, so yeah, I just, I think that it's just, you know, constantly like just identifying what's there, learning how to prioritize what needs to happen right now versus what can happen tomorrow mm -hmm. and then getting a list and just getting it done, you know? Yeah. Another great piece of advice that I heard was just write. If yeah, you want to be an write. author, just write because all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Your first draft is always going to suck. You just, mm -hmm. you just have to get the words on a page. Yeah. And I love that you spoke about ADHD hyperfocus because I haven't been tested, but I swear I have ADHD. TikTok. I'm pretty sure most so of the people in our generation haven't been tested, but I think um, we all have it. Like there must've been something in the water in the nineties that I'm just like, seriously I mean let me tell you and you will really appreciate this but I wrote a fan fiction l last year this year um and I wrote 150,000 words in a week oh my god <laughs> one week I was sitting my husband that's amazing was, that might be that might truly be the highest I've I've heard <laughs> 
I was dead by the end of it, but my husband oh, yeah, was no, genuinely worried. He was mm-hmm. like, um, are you okay? Cause I was getting up at like six in the morning and I, all uh-huh. I did was just sit at my desk. I ate at my desk. Uh-huh, I didn't want to leave uh-huh. because I was like, if I leave my desk, I cannot get the story we'll out of my sun. brain. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm, I'm like, there have, anyway, been, but... there have definitely been nights for me with fan fiction, especially where like, I'll get an idea and I'll start writing it and I'll be like, yeah. if I leave and if I put this down and pick it back up mm-hmm. tomorrow, it's not going to be the same. So I'll stay up until 4am exactly. finishing that fan fiction, even mm-hmm. though it was only supposed to be a thousand words. Now it's 15, you yeah. know, um, what surprises me more, dang, that's, in- that's intense. <laughs> what surprises me more is that apparently it made sense and people like it. I'm like, mm. how is this not just a pile of crap? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who wrote this people are genuinely like that's oh so great i love funnel, this story into your books oh i know a lot of authors don't want those two things tied but i i, I tout my ao3 account all over the place i'm like hey if you like this stuff you'll probably like this stuff because again even though the genre is different the writing style is the same you're gonna love it <laughs> oh i do too i mean yeah. i do think i have a dragon fantasy coming out next year i'm like let's there get this house of the dragon fanfic over yep. uh to some books but, mm-hmm. but yeah I think a lot of indie authors can get overwhelmed with how mm-hmm. much other people are doing. You know, you see all of these PR packages and ARC readers and beta readers and, you know, yeah. fan art of your books and buying like bookmarks. And I don't do any of that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't do, I don't do any of that because that overwhelms me. The yeah. idea of going in and finding products to send out physically. I hate going mm. to the mailbox. I don't offer signed copies because I don't want to go to the mailbox. Um, like I hate printing things. It takes too much time out of my day. Mm-hmm. So that is where I have personally been like, no, there's no swag. There's no swag. Like it's if, overwhelming. If, if, it's overwhelming. It's mm-hmm. so many moving parts at that point that yeah. I'm like, I, my time is better spent writing a book. It, I, I make more money off of it. Like, why would I spend money to get swag that makes it slightly cooler for marketing when I could just make three more TikTok videos in the same amount of time that might hit an audience of 40,000. I don't know. And then write for the rest of the day. And then I didn't have to leave my house and go to the mailbox. That's so, so valuable because <laughs> that's so valuable to know that is just knowing where you want to put your energy. Yeah, like decide where you want to put your time because you mm-hmm. get to choose as an indie author. There is no one requiring you to send out book boxes. I did yeah. one. I did one. And it cost me $100 to get the supplies for it because I wanted it to be amazing. And I mm-hmm. sent it out and like they made a video that I think got like 3,000 views. And I was like, well, I could get 3000 views if I, you know, like, so like I did that one experience and like, I was really grateful to connect with that influencer. But at the same time I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not where I care. To and also if you build time. your community and you know, the people mm-hmm. in your community are readers or also authors, most mm-hmm. of the time they're like happy to celebrate your success as well and be like, Hey, my friend has a book out. Like, I love this. Yeah. Like, this is what yeah. it's about. That, that's the community that I'm like talking about. Like they are so like I just sent out ARC copies a week ago for this Gilded Abyss. Um, I guess by the time this airs, that will be old news. But um, I sent it out to 267 people. And I already have 18 reviews on Goodreads. And it's been four days, five days. Like Amazing. the fact that I'm getting that kind of number is like, wow. you know. And I didn't send out anything but a digital copy. Like I did not do physical ARCs. I never pay. I don't pay money for things that don't need to be paid for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't really buy I have the one art behind me um that that is like the one commission piece of artwork that I have done um and I paid three hundred dollars for it and it's just sitting on my wall I'm not doing anything with it you know I but... commissioned art for um the end of my trilogy oh, yeah. because it was commissioning art. 
Love it, it is it is going to be sent out to some people i am doing a couple of um pr packages because it's the mm-hmm. end of my trilogy and i mm-hmm. kind of am interested to see what the result's going to be i'm like hey you yeah. know what i want to try this once if it totally fails i probably won't do it again but yeah i do still want to well, try and i think that that mentality is exactly how you have to go into being an indie author i'll try it once and if it doesn't work i'll change my approach until i find yeah. something that does because then yeah. at least when someone's like oh have you tried x you could be like, yeah, no, I did. I, it didn't work. Didn't for work me. for me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And the art is, it's so wonderful. Like, first of all, I can't believe that all of these super talented people can read your book and then create almost exactly what you had in your head. Like, yeah, I, I, I haven't released the art yet. I will soon, but she sent it to me and I almost cried. I was like, you oh, have so brought my characters mm-hmm. to life like this is exactly and I sent them to a couple of people that my friends that have read the books and they were like oh my god this is just how I imagined her yeah oh that's Um, amazing that's how I felt with um oh sorry that's how I felt with this Gilded Abyss's cover like when I first saw it like I almost cried I was like holy shit that's exactly it you know like Mm -hmm. it's so good it's amazing and Mm -hmm. it really is like it's a bit of a village to bring a book Mm -hmm. out you know even if you are an indie author because you have your cover designer, you have your editor, if you choose to, mm-hmm. you know, have a, have a freelance readers, editor, etc. Beta readers, arc readers, mm-hmm. alpha readers, if you have any. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the difference between beta readers and arc readers for yeah. people who don't know what the difference is. Okay. So beta readers are the, so you, I always start with an alpha reader. My girlfriend is my alpha reader. Um, she reads every chapter as I write it. Like the day I finish it, I send it to her rough draft as unpolished as you can get. And then she goes through and helps me polish it to get me to the point where I can actually send it to normal people. I'm not mentally um, stable enough to let anyone read my first draft. Well, and, and that's very much, a, that's very much a personal preference. Like I have, I have finely tuned her style and taste to be exactly mm. what I write. And it <laughs> was already kind of there, but like, I just kept feeding her stuff over four years that like now she loves everything that I write. So like I know that I can trust her advice. I know that mm-hmm. she's coming from a great reader's perspective. I trust her basically. So if you don't yeah. have someone that you trust with that, then skip the alpha reader entirely and you can move into beta readers. Beta readers are a wider audience of people. You know, I've, I've seen anywhere from five to 15 that can be helpful with a new book coming out. Um, I don't like to get more than 15 because it's too many voices in the room, mm-hmm. but I like to get more than five because sometimes people have things that come up over the course of the month. They're not able to finish it. They, you know, life gets in the way and they can't. And I don't ever want a beta reader to feel like I'm not, like I'm upset that they didn't do this free thing that I didn't, you know, like there are paid beta readers, you can use them. um, But if you have a following that's excited and happy to read your stuff, most of the time you can find them online. So I tend to make a a form and I go onto TikTok and I open up the call for beta readers. And I look for people who have editing experience, writing experience, or who are such voracious readers that I can look back at their history and see that they are consuming books with intelligence. Like, can they look at a plot and analyze why it's wrong? You know, can they identify character issues and explain it to me in an appropriate manner? Um, Because sometimes you get these beta readers that are like, oh, everything sucked. And it's like, well, that makes you feel like shit. You know, like, it's just, it's not, that's not good. It's not Um, constructive. It's not constructive. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a form, a format for authors where you start with praise, then you do a bit of criticism and then offer a suggestion to fix it. And then you end with praise. And that is a very solid way to offer critique because it doesn't destroy anybody's soul in the process. So, I mean, even I'm not immune to that. Like I've had people email me back with feedback that I'm just like, oh my God, why am I even trying? You know, like, wow. Like, and it's funny because you can get 10 
great reviews, but that one one star will actually destroy you. Oh yeah, you know? like, focus it's like on they, it. they don't they don't even out, you know. So beta readers, choose them carefully. Um, try to find people who know what they're doing and who are excited about your genre because a lot of times people are great readers, but they're great readers for horror and they're not so much into romance, you know. And and that's important to note too. Once you get all that feedback, then you make last minute edits, you know, these could be structural edits or character development or line edits or anything that they suggest. You make the edits, the book is polished, you're ready to go. Then you get ARC readers involved. And ARC readers are advanced readers um, that get an advanced reader copy, which is the ARC copy. Um, and they basically read your book with the purpose of reviewing it. So they're not there to offer, sometimes they can offer, you know, if they notice something glaring, they may email you and be like, hey, did you notice that there's this, you know, incontinuity issue mm -hmm. in chapter 12 that you then mentioned again in chapter 23, you know, and that's very useful information because you can still edit before, because the book isn't out yet, so you can mm -hmm. still edit those things before, but overall they're there for, in general, feedback, you know, like how was the overall impression of this book? Is this a five-star book? Is this a four-star book? And why? Um, and that gives you some more information, again, more data that you've collected to decide if you need to do a whole nother round of edits or if you're ready to go to release. And hopefully by that point, you're ready to go to release because I've played my step pretty close up to the, up to the mm -hmm. mark. So. Mm -hmm. And why are art readers and reviews so important for indie authors? You live or die by reviews. As an, as an indie author, no one knows who you are. Even if you have a following before, no one knows who you are because you're an indie author. So you literally live or die by whether or not there's a pretty five-star review on your Goodreads page. And it's not enough to have a five-star review because that's just one person. That could be your mom for all they know. You need to have multiple five-star reviews or four-star reviews to go in there and show that there's a wide reader base that is enjoying your novel and that it's worth the risk. So, uh, you know, Amazon reviews are so essential. Um, and I literally will like, I'll, I'll run promotions sometimes. Like when I first started, I actually printed out, um, you talk about commissioning art. I did actually commission one of my friends to draw a little Griffin and I printed it out on stickers and I ordered 50 of them and mm -hmm. I sent them, you know, physically paper mailed them out to people who gave me my first 50 reviews on Amazon, you know, and that was, and that worked out well. I basically just said on TikTok, if you write a review and can prove to me that you did it, I will send you a sticker free of charge. And I just got a bunch of envelopes and a bunch of stamps that I just put those stickers in and I sent them out. And that I think helped get me my initial buzz because I got mm -hmm. the 50 pretty quickly and 50 reviews for an indie is really that's hard to good. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. You know, so like, it, it's not great, but it's, but it, it shows that you're on your way, especially mm -hmm. if you can do it in the first month or two. So do what you need to get the reviews, but the review should be a priority. Like if no one is reviewing your book, no one else is going to think about buying it. Well, people definitely have bought your book uh, because you've had a good amount of success. And uh, I'm aware that you have a little announcement. I do. I do. Um, so, yes, it should be out by now. It's been months in the making. Um, <laughs> my book was purchased by Tor US and UK. Um, so Tor UK bought it first and then Tor US came on board. And uh, they are the publisher for Legends and Lattes. So I couldn't be happier with them house, you know, housing my Tomes of Tea series. Um, unfortunately, it does mean that book three and book four are going to be a little delayed in their release because we are just going to release it traditionally. Mm -hmm. um, which always next, takes longer. Which always takes longer. Yeah. So I, I think it's supposed to come out next year, end of next year. Um, mm -hmm. Don't quote me on the dates, but I think it's supposed to come out end of next year, book three, and then beginning of 2025, book four. 
Um, they're still doing a pretty quick release set schedule for those books, but you can still get a hold of the ebook and the and we're hoping to get the audiobook done soon. Um, we've got the narrator for it. We're just it's the production side of things, you know, contracts had to be signed before I could have her record anything. Mm -hmm. So once we get a hold of the audiobook and the ebooks are still available, you should be able to enjoy that book that way. And then the physical paperbacks will be re-released next year. So amazing. Huge congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind. I'm thrilled to straddle that line truly between, you know, I'm I I always say I'm a hybrid author, but I feel like this is like, no, I'm really a hybrid author because now I have the traditional publishing deal with the big five press. And then I'm also actively self-publishing on the side with different books. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a wild ride to see how they blend together. So there's so many options now in the publishing mm -hmm. industry. Um, but if anyone wants to find you or your books, where can they do that? Um, Amazon, I mean, now there are, the Tones and T-Series will be available everywhere in ebook format, um, and the audiobook should be available anywhere you get audiobooks later. Um, the paperback will be in Barnes & Noble all over the country, and hopefully the world. I mean, I have a foreign agent, we're working on selling it elsewhere too. So you can pretty much get that book anywhere, but the paperback, you'll have to wait until next year when we do the re-release. Um, for This Gilded Abyss, which is my self-published book in June, that book is available wide. So you can get it on Amazon. Um, I have it on Barnes and Noble. I'm going to have it on Ingram Spark. Um, and then I'm going to just start uploading it everywhere like Kobo and Apple Books and Google Play and all that jazz. So you should be able to get them anywhere. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming yeah, on and so taking fun. time out and chatting with us and sharing all of your experience. You know, I'm sure there's people furiously taking notes um, somewhere. So thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for hosting me. It was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.